and now it's got a fungal, like a fungal layer all over this trunk. Mm. Should I cut it out? No, no, not at all. No, um, no. Again, it's responding to what Mother Nature has sort of been giving it, which is not enough sunlight. The mm. white specks normally sound like they're scale, so what yep. I'd suggest we sort of treat that. Now, we can use products like your pest oil, or I like to use malathion and some white oil, do the combination, because the malathion is the insecticide and the white oil sort of helps it adhere to the plant a little bit more effectively, and that way if we get a shower or something, it tends to sort of stay on the plant a little bit longer. Right, yep. So control the scale. Yep. And I think with rose, because they're incredibly tough plants, and they will, will cope with you know, a lot of you know, difficult things. So give it a good feed. So I've rose, been doing that. Great. Yep. Rose, of course, love poultry manure because it's got right, the, it's yep. alkaline, and they like an alkaline soil. So some good, well-rotted poultry manure. A couple of hand foods of some all-purpose rose fertiliser. Yep, done that too. Great. And yep. that way, at least we're sort of invigorating, getting the plant as healthy as we possibly can before it goes into winter. Right. And then what I'd suggest, don't just prune it yet, maybe just a light tidy up. Right. Just let it go into sort of winter. Then, of course, when we get into winter now, because normally with climbing roses, we tend to wait till early spring before we give them a hard prune, unlike our, our bush roses, which, of course, we give a very hard prune in winter. Yep. But I would suggest in your case, give it a light prune, so at about the end of July, any really dead or diseased material. Yep. And at least that way... Cast judgment on the plant once we get to about September. But I'm confident if you do that treatment now, give yep. it a good feed, prune it hard, or you know, that tidy up in winter, yep. and in spring you'll get lots of new growth. And probably one other thing to consider is it getting a maximum amount of sun if the sun's actually shining. Well, it doesn't get a lot of sun because it's got an orange tree that shades it. Okay, so yeah. that's something else maybe you could consider. If you've got another spot that you think you know, is a little yeah. bit more sort of suitable for growing roses and because they love maximum amount of sunlight and because that's yeah. when we tend to get problems if we're not getting that full sun and yeah. if the sun's not shining. Yeah. And if we want to transplant it, July, early August is an absolute perfect time to transplant it. Even if it's been there for a few years? Absolutely. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, and the reason we wait till they're dormant, so they're in complete sort of rest mode, yep. we've fed them, we've got them as healthy as we can to get into winter. Yep. In that case, we give it a hard prune, mm -hmm. dig it up, transplant it to its new spot, liquid sea sole or some maxi crop, yep. and you'd be surprised how well that will sort of bounce back with a little bit more sun next spring. All right. Okay. And they're very tough plants, and they really don't mind being transplanted. And of course, as our gardens mature we get sort of a shading and, and the garden sort of change so it's a good time to think in the middle of winter if perhaps they need a sunnier spot by all means nobody yeah. can do them yeah i didn't actually think of the spot i just thought oh, i would like it to, to trail over from that end yeah um but it's, it's just yeah it doesn't get very much yeah fun perhaps at all. one other thing if you wanted to keep the rose there if mm. you're able to sort of maybe prune the citrus back just a little bit to allow a little bit more sun in mm. yep. that's another okay. option to consider too yep that is an option all right then okay Thank good luck with that, that Mal. my yep. pleasure Bye-bye, Bye. Thank you very much, Di. You're listening to Gardening Talkback on 2NURFN 103.7, the number to ring, 49216216. Mal McKinlay in the chair today, just for one day only, while David's on holidays, but it's good to get another perspective on uh, on gardening, Mal. You're with Gardening Talkback on 2NURFN and Mal McKinlay in the chair answering all of your gardening questions. We've got one line free at the moment if you've been trying to ring in. 49216216 is the number. Okay, Mal, let's get back into the calls and say hello to Wayne from Woodalba. Hi, oh, mate. How you doing? Hi, Wayne. How are you this afternoon? I'm all right. Um, and Frank gave me a messy, like a shopping bag full of limes. So you've got a lot of limes there. 
Explain. Yeah, but I don't know what to do with them besides throw them at my enemies. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't. They look like, I don't know, what, what do you do with them? Look, one of the best things, if you've actually got lots of limes, if you can actually squeeze the juice, and I've got a lot of my sort of customers actually like to then freeze the juice, put them in ice cube trays, oh, and right. of course you've got lime juice on hand, and of course when they're out of season, you just go to the freezer and you've got beautiful freshly squeezed lime juice. So, yeah, but I don't know, but these are rock hard, they're like frozen Brussels sprouts. Oh, okay. Uh, maybe like, they're a bit unripe, maybe. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. yes, a little bit beyond it. But certainly, if any, if you do have some that do sort of have good juice and you're not going to use them all, squeeze them and freeze them, and that's a wonderful way of having fresh lime and lemon juice for later later on. Yeah. Maybe if you... I, uh, I don't know, but what do you use lime juice for? Oh, you can put it on all sorts of things. A little bit on, on fish is nice. Um, fish, and it's used in a lot of um, recipes, and a yeah, lot of Indonesian yeah, cooking yeah. use lime that, juice. That's right, yeah. yeah. Mix it in with some drinks. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Oh, it's like, I've got this bag full, and I'm just thinking what I'm going to do with it. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Maybe, but, maybe if you store them with some ripe fruit and uh, just try and ripen them up a little bit there, Wayne, and other than that, maybe cricket practice. Tell me, how easy it is to grow these limes? Lime trees, of course, uh, you won't have probably very much success from the actual sort of fruit, but generally lime trees overall, if we're wanting to grow a nice lime or lemon trees, a nice sunny spot in the garden, well-drained soil. They love lots of old cow manure or sheep manure. Um, and citrus are, are very easy sort of plants, and they reward us with an abundance of fruit. And just consistency with the watering and feed, but find the sunniest spot. But look, now if you've got some and maybe try the seeds, I mean, by all means, into a shallow seed container, a couple of inches of soil, and, I mean, it may take quite a while for them to germinate, but I think it's fun if you've got some that you're not going to use, try you no know, propagating some. There you go, Wayne. Something to uh, to give a try. Always worth a go. 49216216 is our number here on Gardening Talk, back on 2NURFM. Give us a ring if you've got any questions at all for um, uh, Mal McKinlay. I go to call you David Peterson now. <laughs> if I do that, I apologise in advance. <laughs> Jenny from Rayworth is next on the line, Mal. Hello. Hi, Jenny. How are you this afternoon? I'm very good. <laughs> How can I help you? Just listening to the other guy, he's, um, you suggested ice, um, putting your his lime juice into ice cube trays. That is, I'm doing it with the lemons. <laughs> yeah, it's wonderful. It's, uh, citrus are one of those plants we tend to get an abundance of fruit and think, what do we do with all this excess juice? <laughs> and one of my elderly customers, she said, put them in ice cube trays, freeze them, and then you've got them whenever you want. And I thought, what oh, a no. wonderful idea, and you're not wasting all that beautiful fresh juice. Yes. Well, I have a citrus problem as well. It's my mandarin tree. It's um, it's the first time it's done it for me. The, the fruit is obviously still very tiny, but it's got little black spots, black spots on it, and it's ripening up and dropping off the tree. So, what's the problem? Okay, where we say like when you say little black spot, is it sort of only on the exterior of the skin, or is it actually pierced into the fruit and causing like a a, a rot or a mold to grow? Um, it's pierced into the skin. Mm-hmm. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but that's fruit fly. And of course, oh, is it? Yeah, and look, citrus are one of those uh, trees that for quite a while we tend to feel that they, oh, they're not going to get fruit fly. But all of a sudden, the last couple of years, I've noticed more and more people are sort of presenting this problem. And of course, they've got a very thick skin. And of course, the fruit fly is not always successful in laying the larvae. But by piercing the, the skin, he bruises it, and, of course, that's when we get this mould, and then, of course, the fruit just, you know, disintegrates. So I hate to say it, but it's one of those things we're going to have to start thinking of the fruit fly remedies now for the citrus trees. Citrus, and, 
Yeah. yeah. And I think certainly if we have a lot of stone fruits growing close to them or like mangoes or tomatoes, yeah. sort of fruit and vegetables <laughs> that are prone to the, the fruit fly, they tend to then just move on and invade our citrus. And yeah, it's an awful problem, but yeah, that's yeah. the unfortunate what's going on there. So the fruits, there's still quite a bit of fruit left on the tree that is still green and doesn't look as though it's been attacked by the fruit fly. So is there something I can do with it to stop the other fruit that's on the tree? Yeah, I, I think probably the, the best thing for fruit fly in general is get one of the jackpots, and that's what we call a monitoring device. So we hang that in the tree in close proximity to the fruit, and we check that on a regular basis, and that sort of indicates as to what the population is like. And if we're capturing a lot of those in the, in the container, well, then we can go to the next level of sort of spraying it with an insecticide. But I think the jackpot's invaluable in the fruit and vegetable garden. We're mm-hmm. not actually spraying the tree. You monitor yep. the population, and what it does, it actually attracts the male fruit fly. Yep. And if we're building up quite a few numbers, then we can go to the next course where we can actually get a product called Success, where we paint that onto a hard surface in close proximity to the fruit tree. And again, we're trying to attract the male fruit fly to that. Mm-hmm. Then if all else fails, then we have to go to something like, you know, your Labasid or your Roga. But try the other two methods first. Yep. Um, and, I mean, generally we're sort of getting over the, the worst of the fruit fly season, but it's not to say we won't get them during autumn and winter because they are sort of a year-round pest now. Yep. But as our summer fruits tend to sort of finish, the populations do die down just a little bit. But, yeah, it's unfortunate with the citrus because, yeah, look at all that beautiful yeah. fruit and there's nothing worse. You pick it and then it's <laughs> no, destroyed. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, I shall try that. So thank you. Okay, my pleasure, Jenny. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Thank you, Jenny. So, Mel, the, the DAC pot isn't really there to eradicate the the fruit fly. It's there to indicate the yeah, presence Yeah, we just fly. sort of did a little container and it has a, a sort of lure which attracts the male fruit right. fly. We hang it up in a convenient spot and the male fruit fly sort of flies into that, gets caught in there, and, of course, it's a great way. And I think it's the first step in controlling fruit fly right. just to monitor yeah. the population because yeah. if we're only capturing a couple, we may need may not need to go to any further sort of treatment. But, of course, if the container's full at the end of the week, then we think we've got a serious problem. We have to go to the next course. Time to bring out the big guns. (laughs) Okay, Gardening Talk back on 2NURFM, 18 minutes to 1. Let's say hello now to Christine. Christine's from Marmong Point. Hello, Christine. Good good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Our pleasure. How are you, Christine? Um, Really well. I've got a problem with a... Well, I think it's a problem with a moth orchid. Um, you know how you get a spike for the flowers? Yes. It's got leaves on it. Oh, okay. It's growing all leaves. Because the moth leaves. orchid or phalaenopsis, which are absolutely spectacular orchid, and they're renowned for how long they flower and their hardiness. Have you just been given this one, or it's one you've had for a period of time? No, I've had it for quite a while. Okay. And it, it has flowered, and I cut the flower off, and now instead of another... Um, little node I thought coming out for another flower, these leaves have come on it, okay. on the spike. Look, what I think we may need to do is, is it looking a little bit pot-bound or is it sort of, no? Because they don't mind being no. a little bit pot-bound, but every now and then I think every second year we need to sort of repot it with a little bit new orchid potting mix. Um, yeah, no, it's, in, it's, I've repotted it. Okay, yeah. you used a good uh, orchid potting mix, Joe? Yeah, and one of the other orchids I've got in sphagnum moss because somebody said, they're good in sphagnum moss too, so I don't quite know. Yeah, I with the the, the moth orchids or the phalaenopsis, I like to use like a very coarse or chunky pine bark or especially you know, an orchid mix that's four cymbidiums. A little bit of sphagnum moss in it won't hurt, but I think it's important not to make sure it's not total sphagnum moss because they do right. like maximum drainage. That's probably the key thing with the phalaenopsis is drainage. 
Right. They don't mind being a little bit pot-bound. And, of course, we must get that water, excess water away in a nice light spot. So if you've got it on a windowsill where it's yeah, getting good get light from the roof. And a soluble uh, orchid fertiliser, sort of maybe about once a month, once every six weeks. And that sort of, right. again, helps to initiate the flowering. So I'm a little bit concerned it may not be getting quite enough light. So we might have to just give it a little bit more sort of intensity in the light. And well, um, it's got about nine shoots coming out of it. Well, it sounds happy. You haven't, what have you been feeding with it prior to repotting it? Um, just orchid, um, yeah, soluble orchid. Yep, no, that's um, fine. That's a good all-purpose one. Yeah, I think really the best thing is to try to move to a new spot where it's getting more sunlight. Um, right. Close to a windowsill or if you've got like a little hothouse or on a veranda where it's getting dappled light coming through because that will initiate the flowering. Um, if you've got some sulphate of potash, you can alternate, yes, bet- yeah, alternate between the orchid mix and the sulphate of potash. The one we right. mix up in a watering can, just dissolve it in the, in the watering can and water it over and that again right. helps to initiate the sort of flowering. Oh, okay then. Yeah, and fingers crossed. How often should they flower? Well, there's the sort of thing. I've I've got friends that have had them flowering for about five to six months, and that's where they're wonderful because they're a beautiful gift that just lasts for months and months and months, but they do need intense light. Without that, the flowers all fall off and they stop flowering. I'm I'm a bit concerned that might be your problem there. Right. Yeah, so try those. What do you think I should do with this one so I've got all the leaves on it. It's got two leaves on it now. Yeah, look, I'd, I'd leave it. I don't think you need to separate it because you've repotted it and that's sort of given it some nice new soil and it's in a happy container. So don't don't take those leaves off. I think just change the fertilising program, give it a little right. bit more light, and that will initiate a nice new flower spike for you. And I'm very confident in the next couple of months you'll see some new flower spikes emerging. Okay, then great. Uh, and they're right. just a wonderful plant to have and certainly I think they're a wonderful gift and it's probably a good time with Mother's Day coming up early May they're a beautiful gift to give someone because they last for months and months so they're a worthwhile plant to have That's right, and what about somebody said you should put them in see-through um, pots so the, um, the um, roots can get a lot of light too Yeah look I, right? have, I have seen that sort of you know, work, so I've, I, personally I don't like the look of it, I think they're, they're nice in a terracotta container or no, but the main thing is, is the drainage. But certainly you can. I've seen them growing in those, those plastic Chinese takeaway containers. But I oh, okay. equally see them growing beautifully in nice little terracotta pots. And, of course, the beauty with terracotta, maximum drainage. You've not got a glazed pot, so all that excess water gets away very quickly. And I don't like to have them sitting in a saucer as well. We want to get rid of that excess water. Right, so a terracotta pot yeah, a better one. Yeah, and a small one. Always keep them slightly top pot bound, we don't want them in too big a container as well. They tend to flower better if they're a little bit sort of squeezed in the container. Okay, great. All right. Well, thank you so much. My pleasure, Christine. Good luck with that. Okay, have a nice day. Thank Thank you. You too, Christine. Bye-bye. Thank you, Christine. Certainly sounds like a plant that's worth persevering with. Oh, they're wonderful. And I just think they're a great gift. If you've got someone who's a little bit difficult to buy for, they just, no, mm. they reward you with how long they flower. And so. it's moth orchid. Moth orchid or Phalaenopsis orchid is another name we know them by as well, yeah. Okay. Uh, rest of today, cloudy, chance of showers in the late afternoon, which is nothing new really, is it? No, uh, I don't think that's a forecast everyone's wanting to hear, unfortunately. No, although it's been feeling down here anyway that it's been going to rain from about this time yesterday. Yes. It's been waiting for the first drops to fall yeah. and it never quite happens. Uh, for tomorrow, partly cloudy, isolated showers from the morning. Winds northwesterly averaging 10 to 20 kilometres an hour. For Wednesday, cloudy with isolated showers becoming widespread rain, possibly heavy at times.
chance of thunderstorms, winds northwest to southwesterly, averaging 10 to 20 kilometres an hour, becoming light by evening. And uh, just three simple words for Thursday, the 1st of March, cloudy, isolated showers. So, uh, yeah, I think everybody, more of the same. But uh, forgetting out in the garden, it's not too bad weather, is it, Mel? It's not hot. It's not sort of overly sunny. I think if we can sort of dodge the showers, it's actually probably a nice time of year to sort of start gardening because, well, we can get out, you can do some things. And I think with the ground being so moist, it's a wonderful time to start considering about what we want to plant, we can weed. It is probably, no, I think one of the nicest sort of summers. At that point, we're not sort of, you know, extreme heat wave, everything's not dry and crisp and looking sad. I mean, the valley at the moment is absolutely beautiful. Must get up there and have a look sometime. Yeah, and all the the catchments are full, so it's probably one of those summers that we'll remember for a long time. But I think certainly in the garden, I mean, there's a lot that can be done, and I think it's a nice time of year before we get that sort of winter which sort of makes us want to retreat back inside. We can enjoy (laughs) the next couple of months. Yeah, great time of year, I think. Oh, certainly. Autumn in the Hunter Valley, it's great. Mel McKinlay, um, um, a gardener from Singleton uh, down here, uh, making a long trip down to the coast <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> to uh, give you his uh, expertise today. All you need to do is give us a call on 49216216 on Gardening Talk back here on 2NURFM. Um, Elaine from Thornton has done that very thing. Hello, Elaine. Hello, Mel, and thank you for taking my call. Our pleasure, Elaine. How are you this afternoon? Oh, not, not too bad. Uh, what I wanted to know... I moved into a house 12 years ago and there was an established garden here and the roses were along the front fence. But some of them have got, seem to have got quite, they'd probably be about 40, over 40 years old. Oh, beautiful and they're, plants. They're really looking very sad and some of them are sort of rotting off. And I was wondering if I dig them out, uh, when could I plant new roses in the, in that ground? Yeah. Look, a couple of things with roses, because roses are a wonderful, tough plant. I know they do get a little bit diseased with the humid and wet weather we've been getting, but of course roses will live for a long time, and it's not uncommon to have a rose that goes to 40 or 50 years of age. I think that the best time of year to sort of think about new roses, of course, as we get to sort of late June, early July, and that's when most nurseries and garden centres will actually have the new season stock. So you've got a, a greater range to choose from. But it's also the time of year we can think about if we want to move roses around, we can do so without any fear of them sort of stressing. So if you've got some roses that are very you know, special to you and you think they just maybe need a new spot and a new lease of life, it's a good time of year in July. We can actually dig them up, give them a really hard prune, and we can move them to new locations. And sometimes I think an old rose, if we do that, it's enough to sort of give them a couple of year, more years of good life. If you think maybe perhaps that they're beyond it, well, that's, as I say, July, sort of August is a wonderful time of year to start looking at all the new season's roses. But I think one of the most important things with roses is an ongoing maintenance. And sort of when we get into July, and I always like to wait till as late as possible in winter, give them, don't be afraid to give them a really hard prune. And I see... A lot of the times in the garden, we give them a light trim and tidy, which is very good for during summer and early autumn, but they really tend to do best when we give them a really savage prune at the end of July. And by that, I normally mean about two-thirds of their growth because what we do, we encourage lots of nice, new, strong growth. And any growth that's a bit diseased or untidy or that are growing in towards each other, we trim all those out to get some really nice, strong outward canes. And that keeps the roses going for a lot longer. So... I think you might have a little bit more sort of life in some of those roses in the garden yet. 
Now, well, some of them have actually rotted off. Completely, and they've, as in, yeah. like, they've like got a, like a mould and they're sort of all gone mushy? No, no, they've, they've gone dry. Okay. In dry that... and, uh, like, woody. And, yeah. But they, uh, one of them I was, I was taking off the spent uh, blooms this morning, you know. I keep them uh, pruned off. And uh, this one didn't look at all good at all. Yeah. And I give the give it a bit of a tug, and it absolutely just snapped off. Okay, and there's no green shoots emerging from the lower part of the, the trunk. Oh yes, there was water shoots. Okay. Not, not water shoots. There was um, rootstock. Yeah. Okay. Shoots. Unfortunately, that one sounds like it's beyond it. But quite often, if we get die back, and of course it's very common with the weather we've been getting, we keep pruning till we get nice new healthy growth. And at that point, we can encourage a nice, new, strong cane. But yes. if it's gone beyond that, just check to, you know, it's quite common we can have some borers and some really old growth. But if we're getting like a real sort of mould and mush, um, perhaps then you can sit it's time to sort of get rid of those. But when, when that, would I be able to put new roses in that garden? Yep, I'd, I'd this, give it... This next July. Yep, certainly. And when you dig the old ones out, get some really old poultry manure, dig that in just to give the soil a little bit of new life, a couple of handfuls of garden lime. Of course, roses love the lime. Oh, yes, and that's yes. enough to reinvigorate the soil. I think yes. age is just caught up with it, so it's not necessarily going to affect any new roses that go into the spot. But oh. make sure the poultry manure is really, really old and just a light couple of handfuls of garden lime, and that fixes the soil up for you. Thank you very much. Okay, my pleasure. Bye-bye, Elaine. Bye. Thank you, Elaine. We've got the news coming up on 2NURFM at 1 o'clock. But uh, right now on the line, we've got Sue from Lambton. Hello, Sue. Hi, how are you going? Hi, Sue. How are you this afternoon? Great, great. Thanks for taking my call. Our pleasure. Great advice. Thank you. Um, I've um, had a, um, someone recently um, very generously give me a standard camellia, and I've believe it is a japonica camellia and it's about could be close to 20 years old but oh, it's been pruned as a standard yes it's, it's really lovely that sounds and, uh, and i said to her i said look you know um i really can't take it out now and she agreed as well and it would be best to do it um you know july um something like that is that correct yep certainly is and i mean the only thing that will happen will disrupt the flowering ability because they flower best during winter but yep. if we're going to transplant it July, whilst they're dormant for winter, is the best time. There's less stress on the plant. Yes. Give it a light prune, generally about less than a third of their growth. Because yep. we just want to sort of balance any roots that we may disturb. Yes. What I'd do is consider where you're going to. You're going to keep it in a container, or you've got a position it's in the not, ground. It's in the soil in the ground at the moment, yep. and so I'm actually thinking about putting it in the ground as well. And mm-hmm. what I'm probably mainly ringing to ask you is about what sort of preparation would I start to be thinking? Because yeah. you know, Blink and July will be. Oh, here. absolutely. There goes and, sort of uh, February. So certainly, look, yes. lots of old cow manure, some sugar cane mulch. Dig those two together. I always like to get them in the wheelbarrow and mix the two ingredients together yep. and dig that into your soil. Now, if the soil's got a lot of clay, a couple of handfuls of gypsum as well because that helps yeah, to improve the drainage. Uh, but yeah, if your soil's nice and drains freely, cow manure, sugar cane, and do that a couple of times. You've got a couple of months. Just keep blending it through the soil, and that improves the soil structure. Yep. When we transplant, then I'd give it a good solution of your, you know, your sea salt and yep. follow that up again a month after your transplant. And just as we're going into the early part of spring, plenty of sugarcane mulch, 
so it doesn't stress and just yeah. continue with that sea salt. But they will transplant quite successfully and that's the perfect oh, okay. time of year to do it. Okay, great. So start now uh, locating the site of where it's going to go to yes. and start turning it over for a big area, a fairly good size area that I think maybe um, what metre across. Yeah, that sounds perfect. A metre square, yeah. And put that in and start digging it in. Yep. Just do it once sort of thing. I'd, I'd do it a couple of times, even if yeah, you sort okay. of do it now and again about four to six weeks' time and just keep blending yep. it through the existing soil. Yep, yep, uh, yep. And at least that way it's giving it the perfect planting spot so when we get to winter it will sort of really be happy in its new home. Yeah, okay. And, and in the and, meantime... Um, Pardon? Sorry, in the meantime, with the plant where it is now, keep the liquid fertilised up to it so we keep it as healthy as possible so it's less transplant shock as well when we come to July. Okay, so every, um, say, every three weeks? Yes, give it every three to fertilizer. four weeks, yep, certainly. Give it a good drench. Um, yep. And that keeps the plant nice and strong and healthy. Oh, fantastic. And what about the um, products that you can get, like uh, stress? Things yeah, look, I, no, I, I don't think you need to do that, especially because you're doing it in winter and if you follow those other steps, no, that'll transplant perfectly. Mel McKinlay here to answer those gardening questions for you. And uh, we'll get to those in just a minute, but we were just talking, Mel, off air about um, a new development that's happening in, in herbicides. Yes, Phil. It, like, that sounds interesting. Every now and then we'll sort of get bombarded with different sort of products and a lot of them sort of come in and you think, yeah, okay, that's fine. But this one was presented to me last week. It's actually a pine oil herbicide. Right. And what it does, it actually strips the protective layer of the weeds and it actually causes them to collapse. But the thing that really I like about it is the fact that it's totally organic, so we can use it safely. It's not going to hurt the earthworms and the insects and the birds in the garden. Right. We spray it on the foliage and we see results literally within about half an hour, which is quite amazing because a lot of herbicides we have to wait a long time. That's right. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't poison the soil. So it's very good if we've got Australian natives or a lot of plants have got a very shallow root system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I find really appealing is the fact that it's got what we call a pre-emergence. So any seeds that have sort of dropped off nearby – what it does, it actually sterilises those seeds, but it's totally what organic. A great idea. Yeah, it's a pine oil from New Zealand, and I'm thinking it's just going to change the way we look at herbicides because there are some pretty nasty herbicides out there, and of course, used incorrectly, we, we tend to kill off the soil and all the surrounding plants, or yeah. we certainly get a lot of yeah. stunted growth in the plants. So I think this one's going to sort of find a nice new little niche, and it, I like the fact it doesn't poison the soil. I think it's the most important thing yeah. to look for. But oh, yeah, it's a pine oil based. Herbicide. And is it around at the moment? People it certainly is, yeah. It's, it, you'll see it in a lot of places now in a ready-to-use container. I do believe in the next couple of months there will also be a concentrate so we can mix it up to the amount of volume we need and put it in mm-hmm. one of our knapsack sprayers. But I think it's, it's a nice alternative to the glyphosate sprays that we've used and certainly a lot of the selective weed kills. I think it'll mm-hmm. feel like a nice little niche. But, yeah, pine oil-based herbicide. Thanks for that, Mel. We'll, we'll keep an eye out for that. Okay, back to those calls at uh, 11 minutes past one. And uh, waiting on the line at the moment, we've got Jennifer from Vasey. Hello, Jennifer. Hi there, how are you? Hi, hi Jennifer, how are you this afternoon? Hi, well, thank you. Um, I've got two questions about roses, very, very old roses. Um, the first of, first of all is about 25 years ago, I bought a Duchess de Brabant and a Cecil Bruner. Mm-hmm. Beautiful uh, old roses, yes. Yeah, beautiful old roses, lovely. Um, the, the Duchess has got this really fruity, lovely smell. Um, when I bought them, I was told um, very, very light pruning, never prune them hard, um, just do the lightest, lightest all the time, not the usual pruning, you know, in winter, at the end of winter. And so I've done that, but they've become absolutely monstrous and quite straggly. Mm. And I'm wondering if this time when I do pruning, like, 
to um, the end of winter, could would it hurt to prune them back really hard? No, I think the fact it's established, it's you now obviously they're very strong and robust plants, so there's a lot of energy reserve in the plant, and I think the important thing, if they're a new plant, we perhaps sort of try that sort of lightly pruned technique. Right. But I like to go about a third to two-thirds of their growth, but I think the most important thing, anything that's really old, diseased or sort of crossing over branches, thin them out first right? and then lightly work your way back to maybe about a third of the overall growth. So take off a third or leave a third? Uh, no, take off a third. Take off. And then assess it and then any thick and really old branches, we sort of thin the centre out. Mm-hmm. And that way we can encourage a nice new sort of branching network from that sort of point. Right. I do it over two stages. Assess oh, okay. it then this spring and see how it can feed it on. And then maybe next winter we can then prune out some of the old growth we've left behind this year. And I think oh, that's, okay. that's the important thing. I had a, a customer in, in the Hunter Valley, which she inherited all these beautiful old roses. And I said, okay, I like to prune very heavy, I must admit. But I said, I think because of the age of them and they're very special sort of rose, we'll stagger it over a couple of years. And that way, when we assess it next year, we can see the nice new strong canes. Then we can start weaning out some of the more older sort of growth. And the rose sort of copes very well with that. And in the meantime, we keep the liquid fertiliser up to it and the spraying and keep the plant as healthy as we can. Right. But I I would strongly suggest we stagger it over two seasons. Right, because they're quite healthy. They're not diseased or anything. They're quite healthy, but just huge. They're like... Two and a half metres, wow. two and a half metres. Um, a beautiful just... size, but perhaps a little bit too much now. <laughs> yes, we, we can't get through the pathway anymore. You know? yeah. We've sort of got to go around the other way or finish up you know, full of thorns and stuff. Oh, so, dear. Yeah. But, oh, they're just beautiful. Yeah. And, of course, I always you know, encourage people when we prune them, give them a little reward, some you know, aged poultry manure, a couple of handfuls of complete rose food, uh-huh. a little bit of garden lime, a couple of little handfuls sprinkled around the top. Oh, some lime too. Yeah, okay. because roses love a limey soil. Now, of course... On that note, if we've got any azaleas or camellias close by, don't use the lime. No, if, there's none. If they're on their own, a little bit of garden lime, I call it salt and pepper the soil. That just helps <laughs> to raise the pH and keeps them alkaline, and, of course, that makes them as strong as we possibly can. Oh, fantastic. Thank you. Okay. And the second question yes. was also about a very, very old rose. Um, totally unavailable. I have been on the net. I've tried to find it in Australia, and I can't. It's a roundelay. Are you familiar with that one? Oh, now the name rings a bell, but I can't remember it's, the colour. Is it a creamy colour? No, no, it's a deep velvet red, the longest stems you'd ever, ever want. Um, huge. I mean, you just haven't got a vase long enough for the oh, stems. Oh, sounds beautiful. Um, deep red velvet flowers with the most incredible strong rose smell. And apparently it's a really, really old rose and it is so hardy you just can't kill it it seems a shame i mean you've tried like the swains and the trelaws or the major sort of uh, rose companies melbourne i've been on the net i've I've rung them all and nobody has it anymore and Um, it's unusual because normally like a lot of those commercial growers if a rose stops performing well or it's it's sort of prone to a lot of disease they'll sort of fade it out and introduce new varieties to replace it but if you have one growing so successfully it seems unusual that they no, would have made that decision. I mean, the only other thing I could suggest, if you if you know of any of the active gardening clubs... That's uh, my question. Yeah. Um, I'm just wondering, because it is such a gorgeous rose, and I've lost other roses over the 32 years we've been here, but that and those other two I mentioned are just keep going. You can't kill them. Yeah. Um, and I would love to grow some more of the roundelays. Yeah. And I'm wondering, is there someone around um, in the... I live at Vasey. Um, well, yes, you come from Singleton, so you know where yeah, Vasey yeah, is, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Um, would there be anyone somewhere around that would be prepared um, to graft them for me? 
to like I know I could probably take cuttings and just put them in, but they're not as strong, are they? No, look, I think it's still. You know, people do have success, and I've got a lot of customers that grow cuttings and they just thrive. But certainly, if we can graft, then that's probably the most successful way. Yes. Um, well, is there someone around, do you know, that would Not that, that I know of in the Hunter Valley. I know there's a lot of gardening groups, but yeah. not someone who specialises here, because my normal sort of instinct would be sort of try Swain's or, or Trelaws, and I mean, Swain's and Sydney sort of are the rose specialist. Right. Now, very... I've been all over Australia, and I've actually run quite a few of them, and they've all said, we don't know why it was withdrawn, because it was such a fabulous rose, but it is just no longer available. Mm. Isn't that weird? Yeah, certainly. It's... Try the botanical gardens at Raymond Terrace. Right. This is a long shot, but I'm thinking if you try them, yeah. they're very knowledgeable based. There might be someone there that knows of someone or someone who specialised. I try that first. I think you might have success there. Oh, okay. Thank you. And it could be nice if we could certainly get hold of that one. Yes, because I just thought, well, by grafting them, that they yes. would be really strong and, yep, and much more success. So yeah. thank you so much okay. for that. My now. pleasure, Jennifer, and good really? luck with that. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Thank you very much, Jennifer, and uh, yeah, good luck with that one. Lots of knowledgeable, who, knowledgeable people up there at the oh, Botanic Gardens. wonderful part of it. It's an asset to the Hunter Valley. Isn't it just? Yep. Okay, to Coal Point next, and uh, Susan is on the line. Hello, Susan. Hello, Mal. Um, my hydrangeas uh, have finished flowering, and they're looking a bit straggly. How hard can I prune them back? Okay, this time of year, I normally suggest only a light trim and tidy, because right. the biggest prune, we always tend to wait till about mid-July. But I know at this time of year, and they're covered in mildew, and they're just looking pretty awful. So, again, about a third or less. Yes. Um, strip off the old leaves and just give them a bit of a clean. I think it's probably wise to give them a bit of mancozeb as well because there is a lot of mildew spores on them at the moment, uh-huh. and that sort of helps to clean that and stop that spread of the, the powdery mildew going to other parts of the garden. Give them a feed now, and again, of course, old cow manure if you've got old sheep manure, but the heaviest pruning is always done whilst they're totally dormant in winter. Okay, so, so no, cow manure, what about blood and bone? Look, blood and bone is a wonderful fertiliser. I like The reason I suggest normally cow manure or sheep manure is because it's a fertiliser, but it's also a soil conditioner, so it actually helps to improve the soil structure. Because oh, yep. I find the blood and bone, it certainly feeds them, but I always like to put a bit of body back into the soil because they love a nice, really rich, composted soil. So yeah, if you can get hold of sheep manure or cow manure, yep. um, plenty of it, dig it in. Um, that just keeps the soil nice and alive, encourages lots of earthworm and the microorganisms in the soil, and then give them the hardest prune when we get to about mid to late July. Okay, okay, thank you very much. My pleasure. Okay, bye-bye, Susan. Bye-bye. Thank you very much, Susan. And to Madawi next, and Anita is on the line. Hello, Anita. Hello, how are you going? Hi, Anita. How are you this afternoon? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. I've just got a, um, a quick question about a frangipani tree which I transplanted out of a, um, a pot. It was quite root-bound um, root and whatnot, and the pot was falling apart, so I've actually put it into um, the front garden. Now, I noticed as I was transplanting it that um, the base of the um, frangipani tree seems to have like a fungus growing on it, very okay. similar to um, the roses that I used to um, have, but I used to spray a ro- special rose spray onto them. Okay. I'm wondering, how do you treat a frangipani? Yeah, so just just to clarify, it's not at the, the bottom of the trunk right around where it's in close contact with the soil? No, actually, there's probably about a um, maybe a one to two inch gap and then the um, the fungus is, is, goes up from there. So it's just, yeah. It's like, little, like little spots. It's not sort of um, 
like ring barking? Because what I'm sort of worried about with frangipanis, and there's something that is sort of been struggling with the amount of rainfall we've had and the humidity, they're very prone to cholerot. And what cholerot does is literally ring barks the, the trunk. And you get like a, a div- it's like we get the whippersnipper, and it basically the mould grows around the base of the trunk, and eventually it will sort of kill the frangipani. But you get a very distinct smell from it. All the bark is very soft, and there's a lot of uh, a mushy sort of substance oozes out from it. And if that progresses, it will eventually kill it. And if if that's the case, we need to treat it with a like um, a foss acid fungicide. But if mm-hmm. it's just fungal spots. I'd just use like either your mancozeb or your copper-based fungicide. I think the copper uh, fungicides are a lot more effective. Mix yep. it up with the water, spray it over the entire plant because we're also seeing a lot of uh, rust spores on the leaves, which are like the orange dots all over the back side of the leaf. So it's a good mm-hmm. chance to clean the plant up. And then I drench the base of the plant as well. And even if you just mix them up in a watering can and just give the soil a bit of a drench with that fungal, just to try to clean up any fungal spores which may be at the base of the plant, Watch the watering. They don't like wet feet. So probably the key thing at the moment is to make sure we've got excellent drainage, and that mm-hmm. can be a bit of a problem at the moment with the regular rainfall we've been experiencing in most of the Hunter Valley. So drainage is yeah. essential. But, yeah, get some copper fungicide and follow that up in about 10 to 14 days' time mm-hmm. um, and just keep a close check. But just make, do a very close check on to make sure the bark's not going soft and spongy. If that's the case, we may have to go to a stronger fungicide. Oh, okay, no worries. Excellent. All right, well, thank you for that, and okay. I'll give that a go. Okay, good luck with that, Anita. Lovely. Okay. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you very much, Anita. And uh, next up, Mal, we've got Steve from Curry Curry. G'day, Steve. How you going? Hi, Steve. How are you this afternoon? Oh, not too bad. There's a question I want to ask you. Certainly. I've got a beautiful mango tree, and it's got big mangoes all over it. Oh, wonderful. Uh, but the bats are biting them down. Oh, dear. Is it always a way you get the fruit just about oh, ready to ripen no, and then something comes in and takes it away? Yeah, it's terrible. Um, you think I, can I pick? They're almost ready ripe. Can I pick them and, and try to make them ripe somehow? Or? Look, you certainly can. I mean, I think if they're getting close to the ripening sort of stage, pick them and you can put them in a nice dry spot and they will sort of ripen quite well. And, of course, that's what a lot of the supermarkets do. They're picked early. But personally, I like to leave them on the plant for as late as you possibly can. Yeah, me too. I love to do it because I've even got a uh, fig tree. It's the same. And the bat's been taken out too. Yeah. Are the trees of, um, of a manageable height? or It's, it's, good. it's about, what, God. Two and a half metres high. Okay. What I think, if you could, why not consider putting an anti-bird net over the top of it? Well, I was f- thinking about doing that, but, you know, like, I just, I just need help to do it. That's yeah. One, one of my customers in Singleton, actually, they've got, like, a polypipe frame, and yeah. they, you put that over the top of the tree, and then, of course, they can slide the net up and over. So, because it can be very difficult to get a net on a large tree, it gets caught and becomes a real difficult thing. But if you've got, like, a frame structure, and then you can pull the, the anti-bird net up and over... And yeah. it doesn't get as tangled. That's a nice way of at least keeping the bats and, and hopefully the birds away from it as well so you can well, then continue to enjoy it. Well, that's true, but I, I planted the damn thing in the wrong spot. Oh, dear. Between a uh, caravan and a shed. And it's shot out of the ground like a bullet. Oh, <laughs> so obviously, you've got the perfect spot for it to be you know, growing well and giving you fruit. I'm getting big fruit. He's got big fruit on it. Yeah. And every time the bats get them and bite a piece out of them, they don't eat it all. Yeah, and you wouldn't mind if they just sort of, if they chose one fruit and ate the lot, but they take a little chunk and so you end up with all these yeah. little segments taken out. But What a shame. Yeah, but certainly you know, if you can do the bird net, other than that, I mean, as close as possible to the ripening stage. Then in but a, that's what I want to do. I just want to make sure I'm doing the right thing. Just yeah, in a dry spot, you reckon? Yes, yeah, certainly. 
All right, about figs the same way? Yep, yep, same with those. But um, I, I think with the figs, if you can put a net over it, that's the best way with the figs. Yeah, but, that's what I'm trying to do, yeah. but that's a bloody high fig tree. It's a monster. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, good luck with that. All right, thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Steve. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, those sorts of things are so frustrating, aren't they? <laughs> Mangoes are the fruit of heaven, and you've got a lovely ripe tree. And you, think, uh, and you go to pick yeah. them, and it's either that or the fruit fly in them, unfortunately. But yeah. yeah. I mean, I love to see the bats flying over sort of at dusk and all, but the fact that they're, they're going to eat somebody's mangoes is, yeah. is the downside <laughs> of the whole thing. Uh, just while we were waiting for uh, the final call to come through, Mal, any uh, tips for what we should be thinking about doing this week in the garden? I think at the moment we can start preparing for our autumn vegetables. And I mean, the most important thing, because vegetables are very popular, I think there's nothing nicer than having mm. fresh vegetables mm. and herbs in the garden. I think it's a little bit early yet for all the you know, autumn vegetables, as in your cabbage and your cauliflower, if we can delay just a couple more weeks. But soil preparation is a key thing there. So, again, lots of old manure, compost, dig it in, let it sit for a couple of weeks, and then we can certainly start planting all our autumn vegetables. It's a nice time of year, especially with the way the weather's been, give things a bit of a prune and tidy up. And I think whilst we've oh, got the availability right. of moisture, plants are actively growing, spent flowers, trim them up, dispose of those, just tidy things up a little bit and a bit of all-purpose fertiliser thrown around the garden because whilst there's moisture there, the plants have still got a couple of months of warm weather to respond and use that fertiliser. Keep the plants as healthy as we can as we're going into the autumn and also time to start thinking about the spring bulbs and spring seems a long way away. <laughs> <laughs> we'll start seeing and I, I delay planting them as well, but we can start preparing the spots where we are going to be planting our spring bulbs. I think a lot of the bulbs do best in the fridge for a couple of weeks and we can chill them, especially tulips and hyacinths. Yeah. But start thinking about the spots in the garden yeah. where perhaps we want to... And again, lots of old compost, manure, soil preparation. So I think actually enjoy the fact it's a little bit overcast and it's you know, cooler. Get into all that maintenance work, mulch the soils up and, yeah, the garden takes a lot of the back-breaking work so it's having to do it later on. Right, and and uh, not doing it in a rush and giving the... the the fertilisers and things, time to work their way through the yeah, soil. Is, and I, I is think a that's thing. the thing. And also, if we're thinking of a new garden in a couple of months, start putting a little bit now, a couple of weeks' time, we can keep adding to it, fork it over. It just makes it a little bit easier, but it gives the chance of all that to blend in and sort of, right. so we're not overloading yeah. the soil. And especially in the case of fertiliser, I always like to use manures first, then salt and pepper the soil with a little bit of fertiliser. That just balances things out. Mm. So, Sounds great. A lot to be done. Yep. Uh, not exactly sure who we've got on the line here, so we'll go back to our original premise and say, hello, you're talking to Mal. Hello? Are you there? <laughs> yes, you're, you're on the line. You're talking to Mal McKinley. Oh, darling, oh, I'm too scared to be honest. I, I just want to know if there's a, a begonia grower here. Begonia, Mal? purchase from. Now, I'm sure there is, but that name is, I'm trying to think of where, where they are. I'm sure there would be because, look, the begonias, and especially the tuberous begonias, are very, very popular. Again, I'm going to throw it to the, the lady at the Hunter Valley you know, Botanical Gardens. She will know straight away of a local yeah. group, but I'm certain there is one based in the Maitland region. I could be wrong on that, but I'm, I'm positive there would be, especially the tuberous begonias because they are a collector's item. Yes. Try the Botanical Gardens there first, and I'm sure she'll have a list of gardening clubs or an actual sort of begonia grower. And what do I do? Just address it to Begonia Society, the Botanical Gardens, do I? If you can ring and sort of actually... Yeah, maybe give them a ring and, give them a, and, yeah. and get a phone number or an address from them right there on the line. 
Yeah. Oh, all right. Failing that, in a lot of the gardening magazines, in the back pages, I'll also have a list of yeah. sort of active, like there's an African Violet Society, the Bonsai yeah. Society. They will quite often have a listing of the societies for growing different plants, and that's yes. another, that's another al- option too. I've already done that, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, oh, they don't send that out till May or June in the colder months. Yeah, so, so you're wanting don't. a list of some new varieties? Yes. Or? Yeah, because I know a lot of gardening magazines, yeah, they have like all the catalogues of different yeah. varieties and there's a lot growing in mm. Victoria and the southern regions, yeah. which are great for the mail order. All right. Thank you very okay. much. Okay, good luck with that one. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. And indeed, thank you everybody who uh, rang up and was part of today's program. And uh, Mal, before you go, you've got to choose somebody to be the recipient of these uh, lovely things that have um, you've brought in, Ooh. the um, paper daisy and all the other stuff. Uh, we might go, I think, maybe with Christine, our fourth caller through. Christine from Mar- uh, Marmong Point? Yes. Was it? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Christine, um, you need to uh, pop over to Walls End Community Nursery corner of Lake Road and Crowder Street in Walls End and uh, you need to do that before next Monday afternoon when I think um, David's back David's again. David's back, yes, yep. back in his normal position. Yep. Well, I must say, Mal, it, it's been wonderful um, having you here today. Thank as, you, Phil. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was program. very, very enjoyable afternoon. And you've given lots of very valuable advice to uh, lots of, of gardeners in the Hunter and um, we look forward to seeing you again sometime. Great. Thank you very much. I'd, I'd love to come back. Okay, you're listening to Gardening Talk back on 2NURFM 103.7.